Welcome to the Teacher Transition Podcast, where we celebrate the amazing things former teachers are now doing outside of the classroom. And where teachers who are considering making a move of their own can find the resources, guidance, and support that they need to take their next steps. I'm your host, Allie Parrish, and I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome back for another episode of the Teacher Transition Podcast. Today's guest is one of my former coworkers and one of my really good friends, McKaylee Karchner. Those of you who are in the instructional design course will recognize her from not just the guest lecture section, but from the section where she shows you the entire process that she goes through as she's creating learning materials and resources. But we really have McKaylee on as a guest not to talk about her role as an instructional designer so much, but to talk about her mom, who is a seasoned teacher, who is close to retirement, and is more than ready for new opportunities. We're going to discuss why teachers make some of the best instructional designers. Her mom is wanting an opportunity that is flexible, that can allow her to stay home, that builds on her former experience, and that doesn't require too much technology. Most instructional designers, like many, many, many instructional designers only use Microsoft Word, sometimes Excel, and they don't use any other techie kinds of resources and products. It all depends on the type of instructional design role that you have and what your job entails. We're gonna talk about all of this and so much more. Okay, enjoy the episode. Welcome to this episode of the Teacher Transition Podcast. I am super excited to be with my good friend, McKaylee Karchner. Hi, McKaylee. Hi. Welcome. Those friends who are in our course called From Teacher to Instructional Designer will recognize McKaylee because she shares a fantastic example of a course that she's created inside of it. Um, But as far as introduction, McKaylee graduated from Utah State University in their education department. And they have an incredible, I mean, nationally renowned education department. She graduated with her master's in instructional design, but is that actually what they call their master's program? What do they call it? No, they, it's weird because there's no like instructional design program that's ever, I've ever seen that's actually called that. So at Utah State, they call it instructional technology and learning science. At BYU, they call it instructional philosophy or something like that. Psychology, psychology and technology. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I don't think they should just say instructional design. It would be clearer. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of teachers in kind of our network and community have masters in curriculum and instruction. Yeah. Right. A lot have masters in educational technology, you know? And so some of them are like, what do I do with this? Like, or I have this, but I'm still in my classroom. Mm-hmm. Like, what can I do? And I'm like, this is what this translates into. You know, this, these are yeah. opportunities perfectly aligned with that. Yeah. And so. there's so many of them. So, I mean, maybe it's better that they don't like label it as one thing, but, you know, instructional technology and learning science, I mean, that can go anywhere. When I was in my master's program, we had some people who wanted to build learning games, like mm-hmm. we game designers. We had some people who just wanted to get their degrees so they could, because they were working in a classroom already. We had some others who wanted to be software engineers. Like it was a very, very wide breadth of people. Right. There's lots of options with a degree like that. Totally. Well said. 
Perfect. Perfectly said. As far as your work background, for those who are listening, I just want them to kind of understand, whoa, the breadth of opportunities you've had in instructional design. So you got that degree. uh, You've worked for multiple companies. You've done stuff for NASA, for churches, for universities, colleges. I mean, companies like Walmart, Purina, CVS. So I've done lots of cool things. Yeah. So corporate, it's so nice, right? I love the breadth of opportunity you've had corporate opportunities and like nonprofit for profit. And so, yeah, just so many opportunities, but one of the things that's super unique about you. And one of the reasons why I wanted to get together and do a podcast episode, like really for those listening, they need to know we nerd about nerd out about this kind of stuff, like all the time, it's like a normal Saturday conversation. For us. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And, and oftentimes when we chat, you mention your mom because your mom is a teacher. She teaches special ed. Is that right? No, my mom has taught everything from like K through six. Um, okay. Right now she's teaching kindergarten, but she's been a teacher for over 30 years in elementary ed. So okay. My it's sister-in-law is the one who speaks, who teaches special ed. Special ed. Okay. That's where I'm having some of the crossover mm-hmm. with that. Okay, cool. And sometimes when we've chatted, you've mentioned, you know, your mom's close to retirement. We definitely have a bunch of teachers in our in our courses who are close to retirement, some that are already retired, but you've mentioned, you're like, I just want my mom to wrap things up with teaching. I know some of the circumstances she's in are uniquely challenging. Mm-hmm. And well, COVID's um, made that nice, right? COVID's <laughs> teaching circumstances have, have been uniquely challenging this year. So, so true. But you've mentioned, you're like, I just want her to wrap things up with it and go into instructional design. But whenever I mentioned something about it, she's like, oh, I can't do that. I don't, I don't know how to like code or do all these things that I also don't know how to do. And I have zero interest in doing them. So, so it's really interesting. So like I said, my mom has been teaching for over 30 years um, and she's an excellent teacher, just an absolutely wonderful teacher. Um, but you know, that's 30 years is retirement ready. That like, that's a long time. And anybody who's been in teaching for even a year understands how difficult of a profession that is. It is exhausting. Um, especially when you're dealing with a bunch of kindergartners. So I, I know that my mom is tired. <laughs> she would like to be semi-retired at the very minimum and be, you know, more of a grandma and, and less of just this working woman that's never home and never gets to cook dinner for her husband and things like that. Um, because she's writing papers or different things. Um, but my mom's not even 60 yet. So like that is really early to retire. And I oftentimes remind her, I was like, I know that you'd like to do this, but at the, at the end of the day, most people who are not even 60 can't afford to retire especially teachers, because they make what they make, right? <laughs> so she's just kind of locked herself into this mindset sometimes of, oh, well, I'm gonna have to teach for another 10 years or so before I can retire. And I tried to help her understand, like, you would be ideally suited for something like instructional design, because oftentimes it can be done, you know, part-time from home. Um, and those kinds of things, especially with companies that are doing so much online learning for K through 12 schools, um, like she's brilliant in that. That's what she's been doing for 30 years. So, but she worries a lot about the technology. I think she sees some of the stuff that I do because I do work with other types of clients and I do a lot of technology related things, but mm-hmm. I was like, mom, most of what I do is just thinking, right? I could do everything that I, that I do right now without technology. I could do it with a pencil if I needed to. Yeah. And some of the things that I do, the technology just makes it easier and faster. It doesn't mean I have to do it that way. Yeah. Um, 
and she's maybe coming around. She's still very invested. COVID has kind of taken all of her attention this year, um, trying to to get some stuff going for for her kids and everything. But maybe when the summer comes, if we make it that far, she would be more open to to this idea, and I can help her understand why technology is really not a, an issue for her. A good call. I I think you know it's interesting for me when I chat with any instructional designer. So first off, I've said this so many times, but whenever someone tells me that they work in instructional design, the first thing I say is, "Okay, so what do you actually do?" Because you know there there are so many different things to do, and some people all they use is Microsoft Word and their email and maybe an Excel spreadsheet. And, and that's it, right? Like you said, it's mm-hmm. thinking, it's writing, it's yeah. what's going to be an effective way to, to do this. Okay. And maybe they're using PowerPoint, right? You yeah, know, and for, other, for other instructional designers, they're not on the instructional design side. Those who are in our course, they'll, these terms will make sense, but they're like the learning developer side. They are the one that hasn't made the blueprints, like the architect for what the learning is going to be like. They're the ones that are actually creating it. And so sure, they might use some they're going to use some techie things, but there's just a variety of opportunities. So I'm, yeah, I'm glad that you, especially as you start to go into corporate spaces, like they'll hire people who are experts in graphics and they will hire people who are experts in programming. Those people probably already exist at their company. If they're hiring an instructional designer, really what they want is someone who can think through these types of problems and come up with solutions and tell the graphic artists and the, you know, programmers what to do. Because that's not what their skill set is. Their skill set is taking this problem and, and making it beautiful or programming it. Like the the other part is really critical, and we need people who can do that. And it's really helping yeah. to do technology. In fact, one of the tools that I use the most is called Balsamic Mockups. It's yeah. a drag and drop tool. Like there's no programming. It's literally taking boxes and moving them around on a page to help like map out what something might be. Yeah, right? I think of it kind of like the paint program. Yeah, like old, it's so paint program. It's like here's yeah. this, here's a box and here's this, and here's kind of how I want this web page to be lit. Not, and maybe not even a web page, but like, yeah, here's how I want this experience to be designed. Let's do like yeah. three modules about this, or, you know, or yeah. let's have a PowerPoint about this and the trainer can use that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So and different. most of what I put on pages like that, like even the layouts and stuff that I set up, they're not good. And I tell the designers that I work with, I was like, these layouts and stuff are not good. I said, what I'm trying to show you on this page is what parts you need in order to make this experience work. So I'm laying it out for them and labeling it with instructions on here's what this piece does as far as the information is there, right? In the instructional part. Yeah. They love it. It makes their job so much easier. Um, oftentimes we pull in UX and graphic designers to, to try to do that thinking. And it's just incredibly difficult for them because they don't understand all the parts that need to go on the page, right? Or in yeah. the experience. And so they end up making it up and it can spend months, months and months and months just figuring that very basic thing out that when you bring someone like me in, I can figure that out in a couple of weeks usually and then pass it on and we're on our way. Yeah, and totally. So- and the fact that like, I love how the creative side of me and the nerd side of me, this is like playtime, you know, I'm Absolutely. like, I can get paid for this. And so as, as a teacher, when I, I remember when I had um, a student teacher and when she was almost done with 
her student teaching, she had to have the class all to herself. And I wasn't to be in the classroom for days on end. And so I kind of like buried myself in a different room where no one could find me. And I just did scope and sequence planning, all of the things that I always wanted to spend so much time on, but never had time to work on it. Like not just lesson planning, but like, let's make all my years of like the schedule of the calendar the, and the academic planning, I, all of those things. And I was like, oh my gosh, instructional designers get paid to do stuff like do that, this, you know? Yeah. And so, and it's not other people's strong point, but for so many teachers, it totally, totally is. So if there's anybody out there listening to this, who is afraid of the tech side, they're like, whoa, but don't I know, need to know how to like edit instructional videos or do I know, have to know how to make an online lesson and do like HTML and program? Like if, if your mom is afraid of things like that, like, what would you tell someone who, if that's a hang up for them? I, I don't do that ever anymore. So the, what I generally tell people if they're starting out at instructional design, like young buck, this is my first day I'm in college and I'm in the process of planning my degree. I would tell them to take a programming class, but not so they can learn programming. It's just so they can understand some of the basic terminology. So when programmers talk to them, because my general theory about life is everybody is nerdy about something, right? So programmers are nerdy about programming. That's why they do what they do, right? So when they talk to you about things, they're probably going to talk in the same type of jargony ways like that you would expect from someone who's really passionate about the thing that they're doing. And artists are the same way, right? So yeah. I do think it's valuable for instructional designers to have at least a little bit of a working knowledge of, of the terminology for the most part. So it's easier to communicate with people because at the end of the day, the instructional designer is usually the communicator. They have to make sure that whatever is on their page is translated into the final product. But I haven't written a line of code since just after college. Yeah. And, and I've been I in haven't. my profession for 15 years. Yeah. And I've like scene code yeah i understand it like when very I, basically right yeah when so i worked in javascript i'm like okay i know what that is i don't know how yeah. to write a word of it but i know what it is <laughs> yeah i anything that i've learned i learned when i was already on the job and you know something was needed and so i just turned to a coworker and said hey what's that or you know and they're like oh that's that and i'm like great things so because i know a lot of the teachers in our community are very um like they want to do everything well they want to prepare and be legit before they go for a job so sometimes they're like okay so i can't apply to an instructional design job until i've learned programming you know and it's like no like no big head shake no yeah that is not it at all um, and again yeah. remember everybody's a nerd about their thing so if you get into a job and you don't understand something's going on just tell them, I would like to understand what you're saying. And I don't <laughs> because yep. people love to talk about the thing that they do. Like that's just basic human life. Right. So totally. just, just ask them, right. You might have to work through it a little bit because they're going to talk in like the most jargony way ever, most likely, but yeah, just bring yourself a dictionary. You'll, you'll get it. <laughs> well said. Well said. Um, okay. So for those who don't know, I don't know. I mean, no one probably knows this, but when I was first, when I was first like, oh, Michaela, I want to make this course for teachers to become instructional designers. And here's how I'm thinking of outlining it and what modules should be about what you had one of the best ideas. And you're like, really, you should just start it with here's why you guys are like the best people at this job. You know, you already know how you already do this, you know, and, and it's so true. And that's, that's really how the course, the framework of the course it's, it's, 
here's instruction. Here's what you do as a teacher, you know, and here is what instructional design is. And you're actually the most qualified people in the world at doing this because it's designing yeah. learning and you, you are- do it instinctually. Right. So the thing that I always tell my mom when I'm trying to convince her to do this is I say, mom, okay, I want you to think of a kid in your class right now who is struggling with a skill. So learning the letter H, whatever it is, think of it. And I said, how would you help that student learn that letter? Like, give me three ideas. And she can do it like that because she knows the student and she knows what they're struggling with. And she has done it for years. And I was like, that's instructional design, right? And you do it so instinctively now that you don't even think it's instructional design. It's just what you do, right? And that's what they need. So now we're going to apply another problem in like, you know, some type of business, some process or safety thing the main difference that you're going to have to figure out is you have to go in and learn a little bit about whatever their problem is. That's fine. You can do that. And then you're going to just like, okay, I, now that I understand your problem, I know how to help you get to there, get to where you're going. Right. That's what instructional designers do. Yeah. And I think for a lot of teachers, they're like, well, can't anybody do that? I mean, that's so easy. Right. And that's the genius of it. It's like, no, that's what teachers do. And teachers have all these creative ideas and that just doesn't come like our, our web development friends, (laughs) like that's not their strong point. This is educators. It's so, Mm -hmm. so, so true. So, I mean, even think in your own school, you know, which teachers are incredible and which ones are right. And it's partly to do with this skill. It's nothing personal. It's just some people are much better at this than others. Right. So it's a skill. There's no, no shame in it. Um, I, I will sit down not to like toot my own horn, but I will sit down and I will think through some of these things. And I actually had a meeting with one of the heads of, of IT for the project I'm working on. And I was explaining to him some of the content strategy things we're working on mapping out paths through a website right now. And at the end, he's like, Kaylee, I could never come up with any of this stuff. He's like, I will tell you right away that I don't understand instructional design, I understand content strategy, but when you explain it, I get why we need it. And I'm like, and it's, that's just the way life is. He's not good at it, but he's great at other things that I'm not good at. So awesome. <laughs> embrace our strengths. And yeah. I just love that there's routes for them. You know, there's opportunities yeah, that need for them. So good. Okay. Um, so that people can understand, you know, we've talked a little bit about the skill set, why, how it's needed, how it's important. So that they can understand, well, what kind of problems could I solve for companies or how, how would I really be needed or valuable? Can you tell us a little bit about that? And maybe the vast variety of opportunities that are out there. And if you want to talk about that, maybe in context of your mom, like if your mom were to go into instructional design, what kinds of opportunities do you think are, are there for a teacher who is close to retirement? and who wants some life flexibility, or maybe it's a mom who has a three-year-old and they don't want to be dropping off their three-year-old at daycare anymore, or, or they just want to be more present for their family. Like what flexible opportunities are there? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's all kinds of opportunities out there. I, again, this is a special skill set. Not everybody can do it. And I feel like the more like Opportunities available for you are kind of how willing you are to maybe grab a hold of problems that you are not familiar with. So I think one of the things that holds teachers back is they're like, well, I know how to teach like letters to kids. And I was like, okay, just stop the letters to kids thing. You know how to teach, period. 
I said, you have to be willing to go out and grab onto a problem that you may not know a lot about, but you can learn about and then use those same skills that you teach with to translate that for other people. He said, so if you're willing to tackle some of these bigger problems, there's pretty much opportunity everywhere. I think about all of the types of problems that I've dealt with in my career. Like when I first started, I didn't even have my degree yet. Um, I was hired at a company called ATK Thaikal. Um, They build rockets for NASA, right? And that's what they are primarily doing. Um, they also build missiles and other types of things for the Department of Defense um, and those kinds of things. And I came in and they were in the process of evaluating safety training for their employees. Um, so part of government regulations requires certain kinds of training to be given every year. Um, and they had kind of an old training that they weren't very happy with. It was kind of ridiculous and maybe barely met their requirements. <laughs> and so they were looking and saying, okay, do we buy new stuff? Do we build something? All those kinds of things. And I gotta tell you, I didn't know anything about rockets, didn't know anything about missiles or how you build any of that kind of stuff. Um, but I said, okay, I'm here to, you show me and teach me about rockets and I will teach you how to help people be safe. Um, and that's what we did. I spent a couple of weeks wandering everywhere in their facility with my hard hat on and my, my steel-toed boots. And they showed me how they build all the rockets and pour in the jet fuel and mix the jet fuel and all those kinds of things. Wow. And then we broke it down and, and was able to do a really great safety program for them, right? That, um, that they actually thought was kind of funny. Like lots of these rocket scientists, they, they know these things. If they didn't, they would blow themselves up on a regular basis, but it's required that they have to take it by law. So we wanted to make sure that it was a little bit fun for them. Um, okay. But I mean, that was my first job. And then after that, they had me doing some, some other things for, for NASA to help with some of the, it was almost like some of the pitch stuff they were doing because they were pitching a new rocket to NASA at the time. And so I helped with some of those things. But again, things that I didn't know anything about, yeah. if you're willing to dive in and learn, you can do all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, my next and job was in American Sign Language. I knew a little bit about that, but building an online course for American Sign Language was a totally new concept. Sign language is almost always taught in person um, just because of the dynamic that is required between the instructor. Um, and so we were breaking new ground. We jumped in and did that. And I, I had to work with a gentleman who was deaf. So not only did I not really know that much about sign language, but we yeah. had to figure out how to communicate with each other. So yeah. if you're willing to jump in and do those things, the opportunities are endless. You will never be without work if you want it. I do know a lot of people in our community and in the course, you know, people have asked, but how do I do this if I don't know the content? And so we've talked about the role of a subject matter expert or a SME, yeah, S-M-E. I'm sure people have seen it on the, you know, on job descriptions and whatnot, people who are listening to this. So yeah, for those who are listening and they're like, but I don't know anything about rockets and maybe I don't want to know anything about rockets. What McKaylee just described is like, that's so much more in depth than most of the courses that I've, yeah, actually then probably any course I've, I've built or any learning materials or training materials, you know, like doing stuff for healthcare professions when I was at the agency where you and I both worked mm -hmm. at one point in time, but really it was like, okay, here's, here's their training guide. Here's, here's this, just make a PowerPoint for it. Or here's the online course. These other people are going to do the techie side of it. We just need you to like structure it. You know, what should the sections be? what should the pages be, you know? And so, yeah, but what you just described, you know, with a hard hat and everything that's, tell us a little bit about the role of a subject matter expert and how you interact with them. So that as an instructional design, you don't have to be the expert expert. You just don't get so in the weeds. You kind of have the vision of what's needed in an overarching learning material. Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of feel like the 
I was really grateful now that I think back on it, that that was kind of my first big assignment because it was such a high learning curve for me. I really didn't know anything about rockets at all. In fact, when I originally applied to that company, I applied for a different job. And then they found out that I had instructional design skills and they switched me over into that job. So it was kind of a random series of events. But I think the thing that helped me the most is because I was so naive about the subject, I learned how to ask great questions. Um, and I just walked around and I talked to tons of subject matter experts. And again, people love what they do for the most part. They are nerdy about the thing that they do, just like we're nerdy about the things that we do. They want to tell you about it. So if you learn to ask great questions, they will keep answering them, right? And like that's really the key to success with working with subject matter experts is learn to ask good questions and then learn to listen to them, right? Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes it can be difficult subject matter experts often think that they are instructional designers, right? Mm. So you kind of have to balance that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's kind of challenging sometimes to be a, a subject matter expert, especially because you know so much about the subject that you're dealing with. Like it's almost hard to remember when you didn't know anything, right? Yeah. And as an instructional designer, when you come into situations like that, you are just like the learner. You don't know anything. So if you have a question about something, your learner probably is going to have that question too. Um, so keying in on that, recognizing when you don't understand and asking is really the, the key to success for, for subject matter experts. And yeah. then being, of course, very respectful of their expertise, right? Um, yeah, definitely. never a competition between our expertise. They're good at what they do for a reason and you're good at what you do for a reason. Yeah. Um, and I like, I like reminding instructional designers, like it's, it's great that you don't know everything about it because then you would get lost in the weeds. They need someone who has the perspective of what it's like to be a newbie to the content mm -hmm. so that you can create a learning resource that's simple and, you know, easy to go through and enjoyable to go through. And then, and then come out on the other end with the learning outcomes that are needed. Absolutely. You know, so if you let subject matter experts run wild, like some of these guys that I would talk to about rocket fuel, they would tell me like the chemical makeup of the rocket fuel. And like oh, those wow. types of things are, are great and important if you're a rocket fuel scientist who has to mix it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for the type of training that we were building, we really didn't need to know that in order to be successful. We needed to know you need to have those clip things on your glasses. So when you bend over to check the rocket fuel, your glasses don't fall out. Are you a teacher who's considering different options? Maybe you're wondering, what else could I even do? Would I enjoy something else? Could it provide for me financially? Could it provide the life flexibility or opportunities that I want? These are all great questions. And you don't have to think through these questions and try and find the answers by yourself. Join our membership to get the resources, guidance, and personalized support that you need. In the membership, you will have access to live Q&A coaching calls. You'll also have access to training and resources created for you every month that are customized to the current needs of our members. Along with that, you'll have access to the Find Your Next Dream Job course for teachers, which includes interviews with professional certified resume writers, hiring managers at education companies, resources that are research-based to help you identify the job opportunities that you would actually really enjoy and resources to help you land them. Along with that, you're also going to have templates for resumes and for cover letters. Now, I'm not talking about general, general templates that you can just find on the internet. I'm talking about teacher-created templates 
they're already optimized. They're already written for you. You simply customize them with what works for you and the role and job that you're applying for. And we help you with all of that in the membership. Whether you need feedback on your resume, whether you need ideas of what jobs to apply to, whether you want help with creating your own company, or if you're trying to figure out, am I just burnt out? Do I just need to have better self-care or do I need a different opportunity? You don't have to think through this alone anymore and you don't have to pay thousands of dollars for a career coach. Come and get help from former teachers who've taken different opportunities and get the customized support that you need. Go to teachertransition.com forward slash member to get all of the details and I'll see you there. So let's bring it back to your mom a little bit because I'm sure, you know, if your mom were listening to this, but she already, she already knows obviously all of your stories. So, you know, cause she'd probably be like, well, I don't want to do anything about rockets, you know, and I don't want to wear a hard hat and I don't want to spend weeks walking around somewhere. What if she's just like, I want to work from home and I want to be a grandma. Like I want to be with my kids and with my grandkids, but I want to keep, you know, working with my interests and my skills. Like tell us a little bit about independent contracting, freelancing as an instructional designer, or, you know, if it's, and there's so many opportunities, you can work for education companies and there's contract positions. It doesn't have to be, let me take full time, 40 hours a week. It can be like, Hey, here's like six months. Have fun with it. That position I had with with ATK was a six month position, right? They needed me to build that one thing. And then I moved on. I was actually a little bit sad after I learned all the things about rockets, but that's just kind of how it goes. Um, Oh, I love the nerdy side of us. I love, I love it. I love our conversations. I'll have to send you the picture of me in front of their big rocket they were building because it's great. Well, and I kind (laughs) of wish you would have worn your- I kind of wish you would have worn your NASA shirt today or like your oh. I train rocket scientist. Oh yeah. Like that. Tell you a story about that. Love um, it. It was great. One of my good friends made me that shirt. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so it's kind of interesting. So, you I mean, there's lots of people who need training. I have never really met a company that doesn't require training of some kind because everywhere in an organization, there's somebody who needs to know something that they don't currently know in order to do their job better than they're doing it now. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's also companies that specialize in certain kinds of things. So I actually just had a, a gentleman reach out to me this last month. He works for a company um, here in Utah that does, they create online reading programs for kids. Um, and he wanted someone who had an instruction design background to come in and help their UX designers make something that was much more user-friendly. Um, so like if you're a K through 12 teacher, you're probably more qualified to help with that than I am because <laughs> I'm not a K through 12 teacher. That's one of the things I have never done. That's a great space to be in. It's a common interest. There's still things out there like that. There's a company here in Provo that does K through 12 online learning um, and all of their stuff is instructional design based. They hire experts and lots of the instructional designers they hire, they ask for that specific expertise. They want you to have K through 12 experience. Are you um, talking about Imagine Learning? Yeah. Yeah. So, we have an episode with Dan Randall also. Oh yeah. There you go. Learning experience. See, yeah. Those kinds of things are out there. And I honestly think that with the COVID thing, those will actually become more prominent. There, more of those companies will start to appear um, because we know that online learning has kind of been lacking in that space. Even with universities, it's been lacking. And we have had this experience now where all of a sudden everything had to be online and the poor teachers like did not feel prepared for that. In fact, I did yeah. a whole thing that we'll talk about probably a little bit later about how to transition a face-to-face class to an online class. Um, totally. 
because of that. And so I think you'll start to see those opportunities come up more and more. Um, yeah. So if that's the space you want to be in there, look for those and, and get in there. Yeah. Um, but if there's other places that you can branch out just a little bit, there's other places you can find opportunities too. And a little bit of it is balanced. I feel like sometimes those opportunities require, you know, face-to-face -face interaction at an office. Other times it's remote. It just kind of depends on and what you're looking for. So for somebody like my mom, my guess would be she's probably in a space where she wants mostly remote work at this point, so she can be at home. Our family has a farm, a dairy farm, so she likes to be home and, and helping with the cows and making butter and those kinds of things. So, I mean, she could work 10, 15 hours a week um, at a contract or, you know, case by case kind of basis just to, you know, until she can retire officially, right? I think that would be very beneficial for her. Um, she might be able to find something like that in the K-12 space, but she might not. And she might have to branch into some other things. Most of the, the content that I've worked with over the years is, is pretty basic. You know, I've done a lot of safety training for whatever reason. Um, I think it's partly because that's legally required by lots of companies. So you'll find lots of opportunities for safety training. But a lot of it too, is we, we work remotely with like, so when I was working with some of these big companies like Walmart and CVS, I was working for um, an instructional design firm as a contractor, kind of a case-by-case -case basis. Um, and it was kind of at the point where I could have as much work as I wanted because they had work coming in all the time. Um, and so, but most of these big companies, we met with them once face-to-face -face, and then it was all remote work from there. So mm -hmm. um, it's because Walmart's not stationed here in Utah, right? So they don't need to, right. <laughs> to be yeah. here all the time. Um, I think one thing that's really helpful or that would be helpful for people to hear about contract opportunities is, you know, teachers are coming from full-time employment kind of a scenario. And so if someone does want something more flexible, if they're a little intimidated or not sure or whatever, I mean, that's one of the, that's a potential beauty of a contract position. You mm -hmm. don't have to feel like it's tons of commitment. It's kind of trying something on for, no, I shouldn't say just trying it on for size, you know, but it's like, try it, give it a whirl. Sure. You might love it. And then they might actually be like, you're really good. We would love to create, you know, a full-time position out of this, or maybe their, maybe their company doesn't have the ability to make a full-time position, but you've just built your resume even more, your skill set, your just so many different things. Like contract positions can be really great things. I know sometimes people are like, well, if they do want something full-time, we can totally aim Those towards that. Too. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned that universities and education companies are growing a lot. That, that's very true. We've had multiple course members who are now, you know, working for universities as instructional designers and education companies as trainers or those that develop, you know, the instructional designers that are creating the training materials and resources. There's just, yeah, I, we haven't had an episode yet where we've talked very much about, yeah, independent freelancing opportunities or things that might be more appealing to your mom. So I think that's, I think that's helpful for people to hear. And I think sometimes too, like, so if my mom, when at the point when my mom comes around and wants to engage in this kind of thing, I think what I'm going to have her try and do is just create a course about something that she loves to do. So making butter or crocheting mittens or whatever it is she likes to do um, and put it up on something like Udemy or something just so it's out there. Even if she never, doesn't make any money, the experience of doing that um, yes. can help you build your confidence and realize that you can do like for a company one course like that and that's all they need and then you're on to another thing right it, it's not necessarily you know locking you down or tying you up to any particular organization people who contract like I know people who that's all they do is contract because they yeah. like the freedom of it and you know they like to live out of their their car and and travel the world while they're doing work and 
that's awesome. That works great for them. That wouldn't yeah. work great for me. Um, I don't prefer to be like that, but that's awesome that they can do that. That's what they love to do. So yeah, you know, rock climb in the morning, do instructional design in the afternoon. Sweet. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Want, do it. <laughs> well said, be your own boss while yeah. servicing other company companies yeah, and exactly. clients. That's awesome. Great. Um, I feel like we should have had your mom. We should have done like a, a tag team thing where your mom was on this episode too. And she could be like, no, I'm, I'm afraid of this or I don't want to do this or, or what about this? And we could be like, let's come up with a, maybe we'll do you another contradict episode. everything I say. Is what you're yeah. <laughs> or, or we could do like a problem solving episode and we'll just have it, have it be just for her. I love how we're talking about needing to persuade your mom to do this. Just kidding. This isn't at all like that. It's just, um, I do think that my mom is in one of those places where, and I think this is actually hard for teachers. She does actually really love teaching. She loves her students. Like COVID when all of the kids went home was incredibly difficult for her because she wanted to see them and she wanted to interact with them. And like, that's the reason she's been teaching so long. And it's the reason she's so good at it is because she truly does love it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's more of a, when you're ready thing, right? She's not ready right now. Like she, the frustrations of teaching are there definitely for her and she feels those, but at the same time, I think if she was really ready to let that go, this would not be as hard of a transition for her. Um, but I just, I'm not sure that she really is. I think she's still very, very, very committed to her students and she loves the part of teaching that she, she does. So definitely. And I would say the majority of the people in our courses really love, you know, love teaching and love their students. But like you said, timing is a big deal and some teachers don't know what they can do when it's time for them to be doing something else. And so, yeah, yeah, there is this kind of sweet spot of timing. And I always encourage people, you know, you want to be preparing your transition track or your path prior to, uh, you could say like, you could compare it to fruit being ripe, right? It's like, okay, when it's ripe, you're ready to go. But like, we kind of got to get some preparation in place so that you do have opportunities at that point. So you don't Mm -hmm. kind of like spoil or yeah. Like so that actually brings these, my sister-in-law is more in this space, right? So I have two nephews who are autistic and have some, some challenges. And she works as a special ed teacher in the school where, where her children go. And she told me the other day, she says, you know, I'm not sure that like once these kids are in high school and they're, and they're functioning the way that they need to be, she's like, I'm not sure that I can do this teaching thing anymore. <clears throat> like, it's just exhausting. And, and I am tired and I don't feel like I'm progressing, but she knows that she's there for for at least as long as her children are in elementary school and middle school. Um, and so I actually recommended your class to her because I said, you know, even if you're not ready to move, now is a good time to be thinking about this because you can start to make subtle changes that will help it. So when the time is right, you're like, yes, okay, I can move on and I know what I'm doing. And I don't feel like I'm just making this huge career shift. It was just like a minor adjustment because I was prepared. Um, so I definitely recommend that, right? Well said. There's a quote that says something like, when the time for performance has come, the time of preparation has passed, right? Yes, exactly. And right. It's like, yeah, it's like, let's prepare, you know, it's a season yeah. for preparation and then a season, season for harvesting, you know? Yeah. yeah. See, in her path, I think will end up being a lot different because one of the things that she spends most of her time doing because she's a special ed teacher is training other special ed teachers. Um, mm-hmm. So special ed is a, we are in desperate need of special ed teachers in, in Utah right now. Um, she she is a licensed special ed teacher. So she has her background in that. Plus she has a whole bunch of other certifications that are required um, that are complicated. So I couldn't quite explain them, but if you're in special ed, you know what they are. <laughs> um, 
And so oftentimes we're, we're, she's pulling in teachers who are not fully certified. And so there's some things that by law she legally has to do. And then she does a lot of training for these other teachers. Um, she also does a lot of training for classroom teachers on how to interact with their special ed students. Um, and I said, Han, you could be a trainer. Like that seems like you're calling. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is a stru- instructional design like premise. Training is a thing. I said, but you spend so much time doing it for adults anyway. Like imagine if you had training courses or you traveled around to schools in Utah and did training for special ed. I was like, that's a career. P- companies do that. Um, totally. totally. Lots of companies do it. And I yeah. said, so like be thinking about these things. And sometimes like teachers just, they feel stuck. Um, and there's no reason to feel stuck. Your skill set is used in so many different ways. Um, yeah. A lot of teachers in our community are also interested in like, well, should I do instructional design or training or educational consulting? And it's like, if you go forward with any of those three, you're going forward with all three of those. I do all of those things. Yeah. It's so interesting for me to talk with people that are in this area. Like I was on someone's podcast recently about how to go from teaching to becoming a trainer. Um, And, you know, they had we uh, first at the beginning of all of that, I said, okay, let's, let's just pause for a second. Like, do you want us to be talking about the person that's at the front of the audience doing a training or the people that are creating the training resources, like the instructional designers. And they're like, oh, the way that our organization technically defines training is all of those things. You know what I mean? All so, of those things. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so it's not uncommon. That's a very normal thing for companies. They yeah. don't distinguish the difference. Right. So I, I do all of those things right now for my employer. Right? Totally. If, if there's, you know, there are people in our network in our uh, community who are really good at something that they do in the classroom and they want to share it with a lot more people and they feel very limited to the walls of their classroom stuck, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, well, there's no opportunities with my district. They, there isn't like they, uh, there isn't an opening at the district level to do something like this. And so to be able to, to know, okay, here's your area of expertise, kind of like you said about your sister-in-law, here's how to create a scalable, you know, a a learning resource so you can train other teachers on it. Here's how to kind of become an educational consultant or have your curriculum or your training materials to train live on that and to have resources for them to learn that. Anyway, I'm just so glad that we can help teachers make all of that happen with different things. It's it's so great. I think that, so a lot of the things, like the difference between being an instructional designer and a trainer and, and all these kinds of things like these are mostly communication roles. So I think about like training that I do, it's usually because I'm trying to communicate some type of instructional design thing that has happened in an organization and people need to know about it. Um, So book recommendation, if you have not read a book called Articulating Design Decisions, go pick that up. Um, I just did a a pre-review of their second edition. It's great. Um, It's mostly targeted towards like UX people, but it applies equally well to us. Because basically what they're telling you is if you can communicate clearly, you win. Like that's how you win in organizations. And this is so true for instructional designers, which is why you end up doing all three of these things. Like you'll feel like you're standing up there doing this training or this workshop because you're explaining an instructional design thing that's going on that you're working on or or things like that. And that happens all the time. So like if you go into one, you go into all three. I'm right there with you, Allie. Well said. (laughs) And I'm also thinking with your sister-in-law, I know some teachers, I'm so glad that teachers in our community oftentimes express, I'm not feeling as much guilt as I felt about the idea of like leaving teaching. You know, there can oftentimes be this assumption of like, well, am I giving up on children? 
am I giving up on like society if I'm no longer teaching, but it's like, well, let's, let's really look at what's happening here. If you're not in the classroom with 30 students, but if you are creating a resource that's helping like a thousand teachers, then you're actually helping like 30,000 students. You know what I mean? We have a teacher just this week who, um, who landed an opportunity with an education company as their a senior learning specialist. And the company's like, we, we want you to take this position at, in hopes that sometime in the future, you will then be able to come our, become our director of mm-hmm. the education department. And I'm like, oh, that's such a healthy that's side amazing. of the company that that's continued yeah. progress. I love it. And then another teacher who is, just took a contract role with an education company to become a trainer. You know, I just, it's like, okay, you might not be with 30 students a day, or if you're in secondary ed, you might not be with however many hundreds of students a day, but you might be helping thousands of teachers and thereby tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of students. It's different. And I know a lot of teachers are oftentimes like, well, am I going to miss working with people? You know, like, am I just going to be in a cubicle all day? Just me and my laptop? Like, I'm like, no, 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 no. You're going to be working with with people, you're going to be working with coworkers, right? If I would have known that I would have had coworkers like you, like, uh, the truth is you're allowed to have favorites. And for everyone (laughs) listening, Kaylee's one of mine, which is why we can geek out and nerd out about stuff like this. All we want, whenever we want. And yes, I totally text her random things or I'll see pictures of stuff and I'll, or anyway, I'll get stuff and I'll take a picture of it and text it to her and be like, look at how this company did this. Like, isn't that kind of cool? Like that's kind of effective. Anyway, you can nerd out all you want, but yeah, people still work with, they work with coworkers. In fact, Mm -hmm. after going beyond my classroom, I saw, I worked with coworkers so much more than I did as a teacher. As a teacher, teacher, you're with students all day. You're with students all day. When we're in like PLCs, professional learning communities or faculty meeting, I'm sure that like some people here at faculty meeting, they're like, or, you know, professional development. And I know a lot of teachers are like, oh, professional development training on something that doesn't relate with like, I mean, sometimes professional development is so needed. So I'm not trying to put down about that, but oftentimes. Hey, if you become an instructional designer, you could create much more relevant professional development for teachers. Oh, did everyone hear that? Did everyone hear that? If you are tired of professional development by the end of teaching. Okay. This is like a therapy moment for me. Okay. Not even by the end of teaching a couple years before teaching, I would be in professional development meetings and I would be, be like, Oh, having such a hard time in the meetings because it was something that wasn't relevant to what I needed to learn. Oh, and so to finally like keep myself pacified during them, I would start doing instructional design of their professional development. So I remember sitting in the back of one of them and I was writing down notes on what they were presenting on and attaching links to like the resources that they were talking about and making it an online resource so that any teachers could access like in our district at any time. And I remember one of the people from my district and she actually worked at my school and and she's fantastic. She's an actually like an absolutely incredible person. I remember coming up to me and being like, um, you need to be paying more attention. Like you need to be like participating more. And I was like, actually, I'm like writing down everything that you're saying so that anyone who's not here, like they can have this at any time, like anyone, anywhere, anytime (laughs) can have this and trying to make it more accessible to other people. (laughs) And I didn't say, but I was like, and I'm just trying to get through this because it's so hard. Bored out of my mind. (laughs) But but it's really interesting because 
like I feel like so like my sister-in-law is a perfect example of this my sister-in-law is brilliant at what she does she's so good at it um and it would be a great loss to education once she is ready to retire and move on but if she were able to come in and train teachers not only does that like connect her still with the profession that she's so just great at it gives her that reach that you know she's probably not getting now because she's you know in her single school and I think the same thing with my mom like if you really want that reach to continue, like every child that you teach, you know, has reach for sure. But teaching other teachers, like you said, helps children. And we obviously need improved professional development. <laughs> yeah, definitely a need. Okay, McKaylee, if you have any, uh, just to close things out, do you have any tips for teachers if they are considering a change or considering going into instructional design? Any tips or encouragement? Um, maybe even before I say that, like, just teachers, thank you so much for what you do. Like when I first went into education, my, my parents kind of said, maybe don't go into public ed, McKaylee. And they told me it was because the, the, the industry was changing and, and whatnot. But I think that as I've gotten older, they realized that that was just not a good job for me, <laughs> that I would not have been happy there. Um, and there was other things that I could have done. But I just like, I have such respect for what you do, honestly. Like my dad has been a teacher for many years. He's a principal now. My, my mother, my cousins, my brother, my sister-in-law, all of them are in education. I spend tons of time in their classroom helping them do things and just absolute awe in what you do. So thank you, thank you, thank you, right? Um, I, it, it's okay if you are ready to change. And I see it, I understand it. I know better than anybody how hard your job is. Um, and sometimes it doesn't work for your families. Families change, things happen. Like it's okay to change. Um, and that's, you know, it's not, it doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't mean you don't care about your kids, any of those kinds of things. Um, I see some of my family members when they have shifted, even in their positions, one of my, my cousins, she's a good friend of mine as well. She went from teaching to being a vice principal. Even that was difficult for her because you were in the classroom with the kids all the time. Right. And it's a shift, but what she's doing now is also so important. So again, thank you. Thank you. And, and it's okay to, to make yeah. a change. Um, Contributing and in then, ways contributing in new ways, right? There are so many people who contribute to, to these kids and helping them be successful. Like you are definitely one of them. And even if that con contribution has to shift a little bit, like you're still contributing, right? Um, I would say that, you know, be bold, don't be afraid, right? I think this teachers are some of the bravest people that I know personally, because I just think some of the things that my brother tells me that happens at his school sometimes, I'm like, like, how did you not like run off in the back and like cry or something? Cause I just don't know how I would, would deal with those things, but, but that's good. You can do that. You do deal with those things and, and that's amazing. And you are going to be great. So just figure out what's best for you and, and do it and, and reach out. Like, I'm happy to, to talk with you more and commiserate with you. If you're struggling with teaching right now, I totally get it. You can join our, our fan club because teaching online during COVID is, is challenging. So great. kudos to you. We will link to your contact info yeah. in our show notes for this episode and anyone listening you can always find those at teachertransition.com forward slash podcast mckaylee thank you so much yeah, yeah for thanks for having me all of these insights okay, okay. we'll talk soon see you. bye this episode may have ended but connecting doesn't have to join us on facebook or instagram and get the support and inspiration you need in your personal educator path if you're loving the podcast, help us spread the word. Leave a review or screenshot the episode, share it on social media, and be sure to tag us at Teacher Transition. Who knows? We may even feature what you share on our social media feed too. Until next time, teacher friends, 
Be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the upcoming episodes. Good luck with the great things you're up to right now and keep looking forward to the amazing things to come.